Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of Libations for Everyone. I am one of the co-hosts. My name is Ben Quam, and we're here to sip some shots and share some thoughts, hanging out with some of our favorite people from around our community, talking about life, talking about everything, and uh, enjoying some beverages as we go along. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Charles Awad. Hey, hey. Uh, Charles, would you like to give everybody out there listening, maybe this is their first episode, a little reminder of what we do? A little brief synopsis? Yeah. Sure. Well, here at Libations for Everyone, what we do is have a roundtable conversation. We like to say that this is a conversation, not an interview, uh, with some interesting people. We're essentially trying to recreate conversations you would have in a bar. Currently, you are not having these conversations. Perhaps you're listening to this in the future, and, and you are, but now you get to know a little bit about us. What we do is every 10 minutes, starting at the very beginning, so zero minute, we take a shot. We have a topic of conversation we present, and then every 10 minutes we take another shot and present a new topic of conversation. Hell yeah! Uh, today we are sipping on some delicious bottled-in-bond weeded bourbon from our good friends at Tattersall Distilling uh, just up the road in north, northeast Minneapolis. Uh, one of my favorite distilleries and uh, just great people and hopefully future podcast guests. Look at yeah. you, Oski. It's a pretty bottle, too. Uh, and then we are also uh, sipping on some delicious Kolsch from the OGs, some good, good friends of ours uh, and good friends of our guest uh, and business partners of our guest, I should say, uh, Dangerous Man Brewing. We have their Kolsch on and it's going to be fantastic. And today we are recording live from a place that will forever have a piece of my heart and probably some of my DNA. Uh, we are at Max Industrial 2.0 in the heart of Near Northeast. Uh, one of my favorite bars ever that is currently shut down because of COVID and because of what's going on in the world. So we thought giving them some love is exactly where to go. Um, I worked here, when they, well, at the original Max Industrial when they first opened. And uh, the day that my wife and I got married, we brought, or well, actually we brought a small group, but us most importantly, here in her wedding dress and my suit uh, just to eat some mini corn dogs and hang out and have five fives and have a couple shots of granny. That's rad. So being here, it definitely feels um, melancholy or bittersweet in that uh, I love this bar and I love this family so fucking much. But I'm also sad because the only reason we're recording here is because it's, it's currently closed. So just another reason, everybody, to go out there, support the restaurants that you love, support the places that you love, support the shops and the stores that you love. Uh, Order directly from them. Do anything that you can to make every single dollar count because it fucking does in this world right now. Absolutely. Selfishly, it's cool as hell that we're in here right now. That's <laughs> so dope. And, and we can't wait for these guys to reopen. We'll, we'll be here. Maybe, maybe this will be where we have our first live uh, taping <laughs> is here to celebrate when they get to turn, turn back up. Turn the fuck up. Speaking of turning the fuck up, our guest today is one of my favorite human beings on earth, uh, an incredible DJ, uh, turning into a mastermind of all sports sounds, and the only friend that I have that I can say we became friends in a traffic jam. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dustin Meyer, a.k.a. DJ Dudley D. Hello, world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell them a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Uh, well, I'm not doing much right now because of COVID, so I'm sitting here about to get hammered with you guys. Um, <laughs> But I do, uh, I do crowds is kind of my thing. So I've been DJing for 20-plus years, um, and then I'm also uh, one of the co-music directors for the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, and then I do the Gophers men's basketball. Literally just came from uh, women's, men, or women's basketball for the Gophers. I picked that up this year, 
and then do some uh, some more sounds for the Minnesota United. Yeah. Just taking it over one team at a time. I do bar mitzvahs. I do funerals. Gang I mean, bangs. <laughs> anything groupish. <laughs> sure. I, I haven't done the gang bang yet, but, you know, holler at me. That's what we're here for. Let's get him his first gang bang. Uh, I mean, is this, is this where we cheers to gang bangs? <laughs> to, to, yeah, to producing audio. <laughs> so, like Charles said, again, we're just having a conversation. We're going to throw out six topics in every ten minutes-ish. We're going to take a shot. But if you hear the buzzer go off, don't feel like you got to cut it off, man. We're just going to yeah. have a good time and, and chat. Sounds good. I'm into it. So, uh, Dudley, if you are ready. Yes. What are we doing? Charles, here? if you are ready, I'd like to start with the whiskey. Me too. Yeah, let's do it. And we will say a collective, uh, in whatever language you want, Skull. Slancha. Go Pack. God, I hate <laughs> oh, you so man, much. I'm not taking this shot. I forgot <laughs> about that. Well, he's the one who brought it up. <laughs> that is a language I do not understand. Shit, that is really good. <laughs> That's tasty. I am incredibly impressed. Wow. Ah, all right. Way to go. Yeah. Way to go, boys. All right, Tanner Stall. <laughs> Well, shit, let's let her rip. Uh, all right, so, Dudley, as you just referred to the fact that most DJ gigs have dried up thanks to 2020 and the worldwide plague, uh, it's been kind of a shit year where, happily or not, we've all had a little extra time at home. Yeah. Uh, this year, did you learn anything new, or did you find something that you love that you're hoping to really kind of come around on in 2021? Uh, you know, <clears throat> I think, like most people in my industry... Um, and I mean, just service industry entertainment, a lot of people have been thinking about pivoting is what I hear a lot. Um, so I've been thinking about maybe, uh, doing more within like the graphic design world or like editing, uh, videos or, you know, content for whatever, you know, however that ends up. I've always had an interest in that. So I'm kind of looking in that a little bit more, but, um, I guess I learned how to live stream and I learned what Twitch is. And nice. um, I did a lot of, when COVID first hit, I started uh, doing uh, Manic Monday where I would just play all Prince music and uh, that kind of took off. So I did, I don't know, that for like every Monday for, I want to say I did like 14 in a yeah. row or something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and like he was doing like full green screens and like crazy graphics in the background, okay. like for the live performance. And yeah, then- I mean, it, all, it, it really all, all involved... Uh, evolved over time um i mean i remember having a conversation early in the lockdown with uh a fellow dj and i was on the phone with him trying to hip him to the obs system and twitch and like how to link it all up and get all this stuff working so he could do some live stuff too and i was on the phone with him and my wife was just like how do you know this stuff (laughs) and i'm like i didn't 48 hours ago but you know i had to figure it out i had to learn it like this is what's going on so i figured it out and i taught myself i mean i i'm a self-taught dj in that aspect too there wasn't really any dj schools in the 90s besides figure it out well (laughs) i mean let's be real i know there are a few but it's not like there's a few now (laughs) yeah but it's not like everybody's going to school like the minnesota bartending academy or some shit for sure (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of one of those, you know, talents that you got to, if you love it. I mean, I spent hours and hours. My Fridays and Saturday nights were spent. Uh, I grew up in Uptown, 33rd and Girard, so I would go up to Cheapo on a Friday night and dig through records and listen to records and then come home to my parents' house and figure out how to beat match. Did you, um, 
I mean, how long have you, because you made flyers for some of your DJ gigs going way back, right? Yeah. Like, how long have you been doing that? Uh, I mean, I kind of got into the downtown scene, I want to say, around, like, 98. Um, well, what was so your first downtown gig? I, I don't know if I actually I know this. At, I, I, well, I was doing stuff with Prince, DJing right. for Prince, and um, one, of the, one of Prince's former uh, techs, was working at the quest oh and that's they right. wanted to start a new they needed something going on on wednesday night so he was like hey man do you want to start a wednesday night so i was like all of a sudden it was just like boom here's this huge 2000 person nightclub and my homie rob he would help me promote and whatnot shout and out to rob schiller i mean that's like that's where i met beecher yeah I don't know, and i'm sure a lot of some people know beecher um beecher like, valancourt the third my favorite not made up <laughs> real name like you say that, and you're like, no great, way, someone's great, actually named that's that. A stout name, and like a, like a, a Minnesotan dude. Right. Like he's not like from a posh English countryside. Yeah, no, he sounds like a bully on a teen drama, <laughs> like the the prep the prep bully, you know. <laughs> oh no, it's Beecher again. Yeah, but he's like the sweetest guy ever. Right. So I mean, like outside of First Avenue, handing out flyers for a Wednesday night, you know, Beecher's out there handing out flyers for his gig and stuff. So it's kind of before social media, you know, there wasn't none of the. You know, street teams. Yeah, street teams going. Yeah. You know, you had to touch every person. Yeah, literally. You, well, you touch people, and then like a lot of a lot of it was just like going and flyering parking lots. You know, when people are at a concert or whatever, it's just wipers. go around and just put them into the windshields. You remember that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Here, here, you throw this shit away. Yeah, <laughs> we're all old enough for that. Yeah. And then it was the and then it was the pivot from don't put it in the the windshield wiper because they can actually drive away before they see it in a dark parking lot. So then you had to stick it in, in the driver's yeah. side door yep. in the, the the rubber against the window. Yep. Yeah. So the quest turned from Wednesdays. It just kind of snowballed, and then eventually they moved us to Fridays, and it was like all of Northside came out and. Little old white homeboy Dudley D on stage just killing it for like fifteen hundred people on a Friday night in the Quest, and yeah, it was some wild, wild times. Big. I miss that place. It's yeah. uh, it, it was it was such a, it was such an important piece for such a small time. You know, it was like a yeah. like a Barry Sanders where the career was short, but everybody that was around for that short time identifies that period of time as that was the thing yeah. i was so young that it felt like a very long time yeah like now if it was how long did it last does anyone remember how many years it was around oh, i don't remember had you have been it, it like was four exactly. or five no it was longer than that i think it was like eight yeah okay i mean it's it was still pretty size i mean yeah. it was it was glam slam before so yep. it was prince's place yeah, before okay. and that lasted at least three or four years yep. I, I saw hundreds say. of shows there because i'm a metal kid and yeah. scott room always had cool metal shows oh, yeah. and even the main, the main room would have like sizable cards of like really good metal bands playing. It was and wild. You didn't really find that that wasn't that wasn't at first half. That was at the Quest. Absolutely, first half wasn't had no metal acts. It was all at. The I went Quest. to. I was trying to add that up um, because I'm working on a, a little fundraiser that'll be coming up in January for First Ave, and I was looking at like kind of my history of it, and because I'm a fucking psycho, I have a list of every headlining act I've ever seen live. And I was trying to figure out what my first concert at First Ave was. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I went there all the time. And really, in 95 and 96, I went to First Ave two or three times. But looking through all those bands, I, w I went to probably 20 or 30 shows at Quest Club all those years. Because they did right. metal and they also did all of the snotty like punk bands. For sure. So in that weird punk rock, ska, 
punk pop era, all of those bands would only bring, you know, two or 300 people, but they were all really, really devoted. So the Ascot Room was the jam for it. Right. Pretty sure my first... My first first AV experience ex, experience would Experiment. have been uh, this Tatterstall um, <laughs> would have been like a Sunday night danceateria. Yeah, where if you if you're looking at the stage, they would have those boxes over on the right. Oh yeah, second one in medium height. That was my shit. I own that. <laughs> <laughs> just dancing. Yeah, just dancing. That, was, that was like back when House of Pain jump around was like new, and they'd play the video, yeah. and the place would just go bananas. <laughs> so fun. Uh, bringing it back to skills you've learned or are interested in, Charles, have you come up with anything that this year has really appealed to you or that you're trying to get into more for next year? Yeah, I mean, I'm very much a go-getter with like learning to do new things and knocking things off my list. I have a productivity method that I don't discuss on here, but <laughs> maybe I will someday. It's called The Unbroken Chain. But basically every day I append myself a task that is unrelated to my professional life. It's just something something that I would like to accomplish or learn or do uh, that is not work-related just for personal productivity. And um, we'll get into quantum theory and stuff and how I feel <laughs> like you can make time feel like it's been slowed down if you actually have more experiences. If you don't just, you know, wake up, work, uh, you know, wake up, shit, eat something, work, come home, eat, go to sleep seven days a week, then your life feels a little longer. So anyways... Yeah, like, you know, I started playing guitar yeah. and, and a myriad of other things like everybody else. Like, I haven't been baking bread, but that's probably next on the list. <laughs> there was a, there's some things like, you know, I love to cook. And there was one thing that I really, there's two things I really wanted to accomplish. I'll just talk about one of them because I did it. I really wanted to make a legit, authentic Jamaican jerk. Oh, yeah. I was obsessed with this idea. I've been, I've been, like, into this idea for a long time, but I became morbidly obsessed after I went to this cocktail bar, um, this Jamaican cocktail bar uh, in Vegas called Jammy Land. And I ended up getting all the ingredients, collecting them over the period of like a month. Uh, and there, I had to search far and wide for all kinds of yep. random, crazy ingredients. I won't even get into what they all are because this will become a jerk podcast in a different way than it already is. <laughs> but basically, I spent $300 to make some chicken for a couple friends. <laughs> in my yard worth it but it was dude it was absolutely out, worth though? it big time the right. recipe i got was adapted from a uh a street a street uh purveyor of jerk in jamaica that my friend chris england uh adores and oh. he takes his family to jamaica every year he's been doing it for many years he's probably been going for 20 years and his favorite purveyor is this guy named Chicken Charlie. And you cannot go wrong with a guy named no. Chicken Charlie. Even if I didn't eat chicken, I'd be like, I got to eat that chicken. For sure, yeah. yeah. So the recipe is like totally, it, it doesn't make sense. Some things say between zero to two T. And so I'm like, okay, so none of this or two of this. And what is a T? So I asked Chris, I'm like, dude, what's a T? Is it a teaspoon or tablespoon? He's like, oh, actually, it's neither. They have this uh, special British Imperial spoon that they use. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to find that? How much did that cost you? <laughs> so, no, what I ended up doing is like, he basically said, you can, so then like do it by parts. Right. And I was like, fine, like I'll call it tablespoons. And some things you have to determine how much you wanted to use and just like understanding flavor the way that I do. I think I can, I think I understand flavor yep. pretty well. There were things where I was like, all right, I'm going to temper the clove. I'm going to turn up the allspice where I thought I would get what I wanted out of it. 
I feel like I did. I feel like it was spot on. I would do a little more allspice next time. And I already went over what his recipe said. I would add a little more next time because that's sort of like endemic to the jerks that I really enjoy. You get like a real prominent uh, allspice characteristic. But it was banging. I was like so pleased with it and felt so accomplished. But I was nervous as shit. Like, hell yeah. You spent a month and like a hilarious amount of money to make chicken. To make chicken. Like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> but at the end of the day, is it the question is, did you enjoy it? Yes, but if, it, is- <laughs> but if it crashed and burned, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a lot I, of money. I was confident it would at least be pretty good, but pretty good could be like jerk at just a bar, yeah. you know, sports bar where you're like, that was nice, but I wanted to do like Bye. some real shit. And I was like, oh man, I'm like right there. I think I, because I went to every additional effort. I think some places that make a decent jerk or make a bad jerk skipped a couple steps. For sure. And I was told, you can't skip any of these steps. You need the pimento leaves. You need the pimento wood. You have to mm-hmm. do all yep. the marination. You have to wash it with, vin- with cane vinegar yep. and or lime juice. Like, I mean, it's really a brine. Big time. Yeah. There's, there are a lot of steps and a lot of ingredients, and I skipped none of them. And so I think that was, that was the key. That was the secret sauce, was like making the secret sauce. That's awesome. Waquam. Next time I got to try that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, for yeah. real. When I can have more than like four oh, people at my house. Someday. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I did the, the bread thing and I've actually, you know, I've been treading more into baking things. I don't enjoy it as much because it does require so much adherence to a specific recipe. I just, everything I enjoy about being creative involves like me trying to figure out how I can bend it to like what I really dig. So I have a tough time with that. Right. Science, but, not art. Yeah. But I do enjoy, like, I made fresh blueberry muffins for the second time yesterday. And waking up in the morning and having a from scratch blueberry muffin, yeah. is that's pretty legit. Like, big fucking marble-sized blueberries in yeah. there, not the little dried-up blue raisins that they have. My, yeah. su- my sushi rolling has gotten better over, yeah. oh, over this COVID. Actually, we did, uh, my daughter and I, my wife would be working out at the barn. That's a whole different story. But she came home a couple times and... My daughter and I would like make make a menu and made a restaurant, and she'd come home and like it was fun for her. And I'm like rolling sushi, and Delaney's waiting on my wife Sydney, and then all of a sudden Delaney is Delaney his daughter. Come, yeah, Delaney's my daughter, and she's 11. But then she comes back and she's like, she wants to order two tequilas, one for her and one for you. How do I do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> Just, I can't just find take two it glasses in the system. and pour some tequila in it, and then serve it to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Love that. My uh, my other thing, though, actually uh, taking a little page out of your book, I've been putting off getting back into guitar for this entire year, mm-hmm. and uh, I was talking about it with a friend of mine who is an incredibly accomplished guitar player, and he's been trying to get me to bust out the guitar again and do a two-man like acoustic where we each pick five songs that we want to do, and then he sings lead on his five, and I sing lead on mine. And originally, we were gonna, my, my goal was to do it by my birthday this year, but then the world shut down, and it was easy to just slough it off. So um, over the weekend, I promised him that uh, we're just going to bump it a year. So by summertime okay. 2021, I have to be able to play 10 songs on stage. Did you start digging in? Yeah. So you've been practicing? I'm getting there. Like, it's taking a little while to build up my calluses again. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little bit rough. And then I uh, don't need to go into deep detail on this, but years ago, I put a ticket stabber all the way through my left hand, and uh, I have to build up did, enough. You, you didn't tell this story on here, did you? No. But I've heard this story. Yeah, you've okay. heard this story. <laughs> uh, after, because it's been so long, after like three or four songs, it starts to itch dead center in the middle of my hand (laughs) where i can't itch it and everything that i've looked up says 
just repetition, eventually that'll go away because you'll just have to wear it down to the point where the nerves don't react to it anymore. But I'm being a giant pussy about it right now. <laughs> like a couple songs and then I put the guitar away. Um, so this is like the sequel to every Ben Stiller movie where he falls off a roof yeah. and, and do a bonfire. And yeah, that's basically like, it. <laughs> what happened to his health later in life. <laughs> so bad. So it's uh, yeah, it's fun also feeling old where you're like, oh, the scars don't go away anymore. That's cool. <laughs> but They're cooler, though. Yeah, but uh, I have faith that we'll be able to play live in 2021 and all you ding, fucking jerks ding, will be invited. <laughs> so on that, uh, there Cheers. we go. Cheers. Dangerous man, Coles. Ooh, goddamn, that's such a good beer. All their beers are pretty decent. If I do say so myself. <laughs> Shots out to Rob and Sarah. Yeah, and the whole DM crew. Literally, I've never seen a company that's been better at hiring kind, good-hearted people. Yeah, like it's just kind of amazing. Everyone that you meet there, even the people that you don't know, you just know they're going to be cool because they work there. Yeah, they always invite me to DJ their uh, employee gathering at their Dangerous Man Farm, uh, which is always a blast. I've spun up there three times now. Yeah. It was fun up there. I got married there. Girl. That's <laughs> <laughs> still, well, actually, Charles, they should, we, should, we should hit your, your question here. Uh-oh. Otherwise, I'll just talk about the farm forever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was about to get into, like, the OG crew at... Dangerous man, and you know, hanging out behind the bar, and those days, man, JP and I would be there every Friday night. Let's move on, though. So, vampires hate garlic, mirrors, and silver. Ghosts hate salt and atheists. Superman hates kryptonite and mustaches. That's a little joke from <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> if you had something that was your kryptonite, what would it be? Oh, smokes. So, like, what my kryptonite? It's going to disable me. Yeah. Or, like, what fucks you up? It you doesn't, yeah, up. it doesn't have to be physical. It could be anything. It could just be something that really gets to you. Oh, man. You um, can buy some time if you want. Yeah, you, got, you know yours? Quam, do you know yours? Yeah, you absolutely. Go. Cool. We've, ta- <laughs> we've, we've discussed my aversion towards bland white dairy and things <laughs> with lots of flavor. Pro- this just happened, and I'm not going to call the restaurant out because I fucking love the restaurant. But <laughs> okay. one of my favorite places, I ordered... Uh, an incredible uh, carnitas burrito and I was really excited about it mm-hmm. customized exactly how I wanted specifically said please no crema no sour cream no crema and she wrote it in capital letters and I took it to go because I drive around for a living so I'm you know got a phone call 10 minutes later I'm now five miles away and I grabbed my burrito and literally they put like extra sour cream in it and it was so heartbreaking because a little bit, I'm Wait, fine. Did you pick your ingredients or was it yeah. like a pre-made? Picked Man, my ingredients. Maybe even just saying it was I like, literally, yes, she, they got every this. single ingredient that I wanted correct. Okay. And I watched her write no crema on it. Someone just saw the word. Saw the, saw the word and went for it. Word. And they went with like not just my crema, but also Charles and Dudley's. Your crema was also in my burrito. It was <laughs> completely white with like a little bit of pink where the meat was. And I just had to throw it away. And I was, oh, I was so sad. Because, wow. like, there wasn't any other well, you flavor. Just, you, don't do, you don't do mayonnaise. You don't do ranch. You nope. just, like... I want the spicy stuff. Right, right. All the things that those go on, I would like to just have the flavor. I just can't have a sandwich without mayonnaise. Yeah. It's just dry. 
Well, then I use mustard or I use hummus. Right, right, okay. Like, but for like for spicy foods like wings or or any sort of like Mexican or Tex-Mex cuisine, I just don't get it. And I was so heartbroken because I was like, okay, well, this is sustenance. I should just eat it and shut the fuck up. I got two more bites in, and I'm like, I fucking nope, can't. Yeah, you really hate it. I really hate if it. You're like this. Yeah, if if you get to the point where this isn't food anymore, you're just like, I'm out of here. Yep, it's <laughs> exactly it. Like if you ordered if you ordered a set of chicken wings and they came out in a giant bowl of ranch pre-dipped they were just hanging out swimming <laughs> in the ranch. ranch i don't know that you would enjoy the wings as much right. it'd also be cold yeah it'd be okay. gross so I, I just i can't get past it <laughs> so either of you guys probably have something more mature and less dumb than that uh no definitely not more mature <laughs> um i'm gonna go with cuervo 1800 <laughs> Because okay. I cannot fucking even bring that up to my nose anymore from this. This is from uh, my old, uh, I played in a band called the New Congress. Yeah. And we drank so much of that stuff. And I cannot even, like, just smelling just a little bit of it, I'll start gagging for sure. Did it just build up, or did you have like one I don't know. bad night? It just, it was it was, yeah, like at the I, end of it all, there was like a. I don't know. It's just like yeah. I don't. I, I no. Don't remember where when it happened specifically, but I just remember being somewhere and someone ordering that, and like I just put it up to my and I was just like, I can't like no, nope. I can't do it. No, nope, can't do it. That's the kind of thing that <laughs> has that happened to you before, Quam, with some type of alcohol. It was always, there's always a specific moment. I can't. I still to this day can't smell Bacardi Limon. 23 years later okay because uh joe labonte rest in peace bet me that i couldn't drink a quarter bottle that was in the freezer and i grabbed it and chugged the whole thing and then i threw up so hard i popped a blood vessel in my eye and that was the first time i had ever been like really really sick from booze and to this day there's like there's certain household like lemon pledge smells like bacardi limon to me yeah i can't can't fuck really? with it yeah can't i can't use pledge it, jenny i can't clean the house yeah <laughs> sorry i have this aversion oh no i'll take the can out of her hand and throw it out the window like that yeah, that can't that can't, that smell can't be in our house i will immediately gag yeah i don't yeah, know I, what it is i uh used to go to x fest every year and edge fest oh yeah and those were the days when i would party real hard <laughs> One year at X-Fest, I hadn't ate anything for roughly two days, and I had a bunch of friends, like, shoving various food items in my face, but I was just, I was just partying. You know, <laughs> I was just trying to have a good time, wasn't thinking about food. When I'm drinking, I don't think about eating. Yeah. The next day, that's probably why I'm, like, voracious the next day. Yeah, is of course. Because I don't usually eat when I'm drinking. A lot of people get hungry at the end of the night. If someone orders a pizza, I'll eat some, but I'm not going to be like, let's order a pizza. So people are forcing me, like, eat this, eat this. So my buddy John walks up to me with a hot dog. I hate hot dogs. Always hated hot dogs. That could be one of my cryptonites, of which there are many. So I was like, dude, I'm not eating that. And he's like, come on, you got to eat something, man. You haven't eaten in almost two days. And I was like, I don't like hot dogs. He took a handful of Fritos, and he crumpled it over the top, and he said, how about now? I said, no, man, I'm still not eating that. And he goes, what would I have to do to make you eat this? My buddy Brandon was sitting next to me drinking a bottle of Jägermeister. I grabbed it from him, poured it all over the hot dog <laughs> until the bun was fully saturated. I yanked the hot dog out of his hand and ate God. the whole thing in about I'm so seconds. grossed out and impressed at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't drink. I, could, I already hated Jägermeister, and I still don't care for it. But I couldn't, I couldn't even smell Jägermeister for probably a decade. Now, like, if, I'm, if Brandon's doing a shot and he's like, you want to do a shot? Sure, I'll do one. But for about 10 years, it just reminded me of hot dogs, and I hate hot dogs. Can I, can I clarify my answer? 
because okay. I was just thinking about it. Like yours, well, both of yours, like it kind of applies around a little bit more. Like mine is a very specific, like with a certain food item, don't do this to it. I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but honestly, my kryptonite, if you really wanted to fuck me up, like, and in the middle of me doing something in public, like actual kryptonite, right. blow out a single speaker in a four speaker oh, set yeah. <laughs> and, and, and make me have to talk and play music on it. I okay. will completely fucking crumple. Well, you know my actual answer is misophonia. Of course. So, like, and this someone is... chewing, someone chewing loudly would. If there's a hostage situation and oh, and oh, I'm the perpetrator, oh. just get some amps and like make someone eat a sandwich. I'll be out in like eight seconds. Like, <laughs> stop. That that would exactly that'd be it. You could play whatever music I want. You could play my favorite bands. But if one of the speakers had like a blown tweeter yeah. and one of them had a blown sub. I would do the same thing. After like maybe an hour, I would be like crawling out crying and be like, I can't. Just let me fix it. That's enough. I can't do it. It makes my eyes water. It makes my teeth hurt. Like, oh, man. Yeah, it, that's like, it's really bad. Yeah, but it's yeah, just that. It's, it's when a sound should be clear and one part of it isn't. That is annoying. Oh, I just. <laughs> yeah, we started watching Queen's Gambit a couple nights ago. And there was a scene where two te- teenagers are making out. And there's no other sound. <laughs> And this, this girl's watching them make out for, like, 30 seconds. I was doing the Dumb and Dumber thing next to my wife on the couch because after, like, literally one kiss, I had already had enough. So I had my fingers on my ears, and it's going, she was like, dude, relax. And I was like, must it be so loud? I started, like, two, two, three months ago with my daughter. We were looking for a new series to watch. I was like, oh, how about Stranger Things? And she was like, oh, I don't know. It's going to be, it, I think it's going to be scary, Dad. I heard it's scary. I heard it's scary. So we watched, mm-hmm. like, the first two episodes. By the third episode, I figured out that n- the only thing that's scaring her is the makeout scenes because she's 11. So uh, sure. like, everything else would happen, and she'd be into it. And then all of a sudden, the, they'd start making out, and she'd, like, cover her eyes and, like, oh, like, yeah, look up. Is it over? Oh, they're still going, Dad. <laughs> I feel like that's got to be at least somewhat relieving for a dad to yeah. like be like, okay, we got a couple, we got a little longer. We got we a little bit take of time. Back that can down the street. But yeah, um, Jimmy, one of the, the reason that we're here at Max Industrial, the guy who gave us the keys, um, his daughter uh, has an Instagram, and uh, I started making playlists for her on Spotify, and so I followed her on Instagram, and uh, she found her mom's like school pictures. And they're like identical, yeah. like they are twins. And I just texted Jimmy. I'm like, "Well, she just figured it out. So good luck with that." <laughs> that's that's one of those moments where I'm just like, "Yep, I, I am very glad that I, I." I had the same thing happen with my brother's niece, who's like, oh like yeah, thirteen now, or I think. And I came over, was over at their house, and all of a sudden she came out with her hair done up and lipstick on, and I was like, "What the hell, just." Well, and like, she's, when did this happen? Yeah, like she's gotten so tall too. Like yeah. it's, uh, it's so weird when kids hit that like twelve or thirteen, going on eighteen to twenty. Yep. And you're like, you no, you're still a s- small child. Like, right? They're not a kid. They're like a person. Yeah. They're like, not an adult either. They're no. Just not a little. But they're not child. a child. Yeah. And so you're like, <laughs> like Jimmy's daughter Mia, who I was just talking about. Like she to me is still a four year old. Like she will never. Right. But then I talk to her, and we hit, like we'll message back and forth on Instagram and shit. She's like, she's into really kick ass music. Yeah. She's yeah. asking questions about like movies and shit, and I'm like, oh wow, fuck, you're. You're a human. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> that frightens me. Because yeah. Because that means I'm old. <laughs> I think the turning point is when you can, like, speak on the same level, too. You don't have to, like, temper things or, or like, sugarcoat things. You just be like, 
you could probably say to her, like, hey, did you hear this new album by, you know, you name it? And she'd be like, oh, yeah, I played that on Spotify yesterday. But you couldn't do that if she was actually four. Nope. <laughs> no, It's cool. Like, and honestly, it's really cool when you realize how much your friend's kids, and I'll say this about Delaney, too, how much they reflect, like, your favorite things about your friends. You know, yeah. when you see, you see these little people all of a sudden turning into really cool people that are reflections or echoes yeah. of the people that you love. And it's like, oh, well, that's, that's actually pretty dope. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm down with that. Very cool. Even though it makes me feel old. <laughs> uh, here, let's top you off a little bit. All right. All right. Do a little, another round of a Dangerous Man Cheers. I'm into it. I'm into it. Clink. Skull. Cheers, guys. Ah, refreshing. Also, I don't know if you guys get to see it. We did have two people pull up and think that it was open and try and come in here. Oh, really? <laughs> and I got a very, very angry eye contact look. And I was just like, sorry. <laughs> oh, you guys aren't breaking the law and are open right now? <laughs> we broke in here with the keys and we didn't touch anything. <laughs> we just recorded some shit. <laughs> uh, I think because we did the order differently this week. I think, Charles, it's you again. No. you're. Oh, no, it is me. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Uh, so I feel like when I, when I thought about this question, I thought I maybe had an answer for it for you, but I didn't know. And if not, Uh-oh. I wanted to talk about it, but obviously you're an incredible DJ. Your music knowledge is ridiculous, but like, what is something that you're freakish, freakishly good at that most people might not know about? Oh, it's easy. I can ride a unicycle. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know that about him. And we were hanging out at his house. This is years ago. And, oh. <laughs> and I, had, I think it was my bike. Like yeah, I, I, yeah, I had ridden my bike you, over. Yeah, you lived in the neighborhood. I lived in the hood. Shout out to everybody in Harrison. I rode my bike over there, and we were hanging out outside. And Dudley grabbed my bike, and he's like, "Cool, if I give it a spin, like sure." And he got on, and he's like, "It's like a unicycle with two wheels." I'm like, "Yeah, it's a bicycle. It's <laughs> <laughs> literally the name yes. is two instead but of what, one." What I was referring to is when you're riding a unicycle, how like straight up you have to be in your bike. I yeah, mean, you're a large gentleman, so. It was just like how your bike was set up. Yeah. Like the handlebars were up and I was just like. Oh, yeah. You know, I have I mean, a, I'm not leaning years. forward. Like yeah, I have a beach cruiser. I took that as like, meaning you'd never been on a bicycle, only unicycles, <laughs> well, which would be an even weirder fact about you. But that's, that's the best part. I also, wow, this is interesting. I also took it that way, and I couldn't stop laughing. I, know, I, know. I was just rolling around in their alley, just dying because I thought it was so funny. It, it's similar to when we were in Chicago with my wife. <laughs> and Ben. We're so Sydney and I are facing Ben, and behind Ben there's this gigantic building, like a forty-story office 40 building. Forty-story office building, and Sydney just looks up and she's like, "Oh, she's like those windows open." And <laughs> I had my back to the building. I had no idea what she was talking about, but like most windows open. And I couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, I know when I turn around, there's going to be a perfectly normal explanation for what you just said. But after being quiet for five minutes, looking up and saying, oh, those windows open was the funniest. <laughs> also, I've, I've heard this story incredibly hungover. Yeah. yeah. I think you I think this was a nominee for you for like, it was. something that made you laugh uncontrollably. Every time I think about it, every like just now when you brought it up, I started laughing. It was I couldn't get it together. And it was because I knew that the proof was right behind me that it wouldn't be funny <laughs> any, anymore. Yeah. And I just wanted to sit in that pocket for a little bit you're longer. Like, nah. You're like, I'm not going to look yet. I'm going to just keep laughing. But even though I knew that about you with the unicycle, 
I've never. How the fuck did you start riding a unicycle? Like, wh- how does that start? So it was uh, fifth grade, fifth and sixth grade. I went to Northrop. Oh yeah. And they a trailer pulled up for Jim and dropped off a huge, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it. What the hell do you call it? Like a giant tra- crate or like a storage you know, unit. You, yeah, you tow behind or whatever. Uh, and it was full of unicycles, and we had two weeks of gym where we had unicycles. Whoa! And Whoa. my where 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 does one acquire a truckload? This is Montessori. Like the 1920s this is or the Montessori public school education, right? Yeah. See, how about the how about the old unicycle? It's good for the Qzo. I was also a Norwegian, which like lasted. Whoa, whoa! Let's go easy on the Norwegian. Well, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, but it's like French or Spanish. You yeah. know, it's never Norwegian, but they had a Norwegian teacher, so we had Lefse and shit. It was cool. Snakadulit Norsk. Um. So anyways, my friend, my best friend at the time, Dan, and I got semi-good at it. And sixth grade, here comes the unicycles again for two more weeks. And by the end of that, we were, like, going to the end of the gym and back without stopping. And we were just like, we want unicycles for Christmas. And it was, like, Christmas, straight-up Christmas story, Christmas <laughs> with the Red Rider BB gun, where, like, all I wanted was a unicycle. And we opened up all the presents and like I went to the bathroom or something like that. And this is my memory. Right. Cause I know there was, I would have noticed a fucking unicycle sitting behind the tree. <laughs> it's a very specific rap. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't even a rap, but I, but I came back and then it was like, Oh, there's one more present, you know, la da 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 da. And then it's a unicycle. And then the next thing you know, it's Christmas and I'm shoveling my sidewalk and outside unicycling on Christmas day. So, and then we got super badass at unicycling and we'd leave, I grew up in uptown. So we'd leave my parents' house and, unicycle up to lake calhoun and go all the way around no and way all the way back without getting off of our unicycles and like no gears like this is no, you're pedaling every there's, single revolution there's no coasting on unicycles wow yeah. so who hated you more the walkers or the bikers i don't i don't i don't i was i, guess <laughs> I suppose I was, at that age you like fuck yeah, it yeah <laughs> i don't think i really even noticed that i think people are probably more just like holy shit what are these two kids doing riding unicycles <laughs> awesome. what does anybody know what the price tag on a unicycle is there were a hundred bucks Hundred bucks is what they were back in the day. That's legit, Schwinn, though. This Schwinn would have been unicycle. what early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's. I'd look it up, but then I'm going to have ads for unicycles. <laughs> popping I mean, I'm out sure. There. I'm sure they get <laughs> for you know years. I'm sure they're more extreme now. I've <sighs> I've seen them with like the fat tires and whatnot. But yeah, we had fun. I don't know. It was it was weird. And then I did uh, Alice in Wonderland, and I was Tweedledee, and I came out on the stage on my unicycle and shit. Sweet. And it was cool. Um, have you seen the, the, what is it, the electric ones where it's like a skateboard with yeah. a single wheel in the middle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Do you guys remember the movie Beverly Hills Cop where Axel Foley first gets to Beverly Hills and he walks by and it's like two dudes in like super tight clothing, like very early 80s homophobic joke. And uh, Eddie Murphy just bends over laughing and just, like he doesn't say anything to them. Yeah. They just walk by and he looks back at him and he just bends over laughing. <laughs> so I was up at my mom's house and because of all the things going on, we chose not to have Thanksgiving together, but we agreed that it'd be fun to go for a walk with our dogs outside with masks on. So we took this little route through a park by my mom's house, and this dude comes by in the spandex biker outfit, bright blue, with elbow pads, hand pads, giant helmet, on the electric unicycle with a backpack blaring Calvin Harris. (laughs) 
And he went by us, and my mom was, like, irritated because, you know, he was very close to us when he went by. He goes by us, and I just stopped and bent over, and I laughed for, like, 30 seconds. I'm like, that is such an incredible costume to commit to. Like, that's 20 minutes of getting and ready. he was on one of those electric yep. one-wheelie things? Yep, one-wheelie things. But yeah. he was taking it through the paths in a park. Yeah. Like, that was his, like, I don't know if it was exercise to him or fresh air, but he got all <laughs> dressed up in workout clothes to literally do zero effort. <laughs> and I just thought it was the funniest fucking thing ever. Like some Job shit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Charles, what about you? What's, uh, what's something you're really good at besides welding unbreakable chains? That was sorry. Wasn't it the unbreakable chain? Was your your oh, self motivation thing? Unbroken chain. Or unbroken chain. Sorry. I want to get back to him saying he only poops once in the morning. That was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that right there is a talent. <laughs> Depends yeah. on how much copy I have. <laughs> once a day is my my freakish talent. <laughs> no, I mean I think especially via things like this, people know you know most of the things that I'm good at. But being like being a, a city boy and a creative director, there are things people probably forget about me. Also, like, I'm almost 40. I'm really good at basketball. People don't know that. I used to coach basketball. I used to be a really good player when I was a kid. That's one thing. I'm not going to talk about that because that's some glory days shit. You always got some friend who's like, I could have made it in the NHL. I feel <laughs> like I'm absolutely not that I dude. feel like even being as much bigger than you as I am, that I would be absolutely mortified to box you out. I feel like you would have all of the perfect elbow placements to get every rebound and every putback. Yeah, I think the last time I was playing in rec league, I was – a defensive specialist and a good ball handler. So I'd play point or shooting guard and I, I would just distribute. But yeah, I love, I love basketball. I just have a shitty neck, so I don't even play mm. it at all anymore. There's a lot of other weird things about me. I'm very outdoorsy, but people don't know that because I'm a city boy. The one thing I'm going to say is actually like terribly obscure, but it also sounds like a thing that a dude my age would say that no one can beat them at, but I really mean it. And no one believes me until they play me, but no one can beat me in air hockey. Oh, no shit. If it was an Olympic sport, I, I feel like I would place. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that about basketball or, or boxing or, or, or baseball or hockey, but air hockey, like, that's always been my jam. Like, for years, when I, was, when I was a teenager, I'd tell a friend of mine, like, we'd be at an arcade because I'm a big video gamer too. Sure. And I'd be like, let's go play around air hockey. And they'd be like, oh, dude, I'm the best at air hockey. And I'm like, no, there's no way you'll beat me. They'd be like, dude. Come on, I'll beat any. It's, everybody says this to me. They're like, no, I'm the best at air hockey. Like, I had a college professor who I played shit faced at the state <laughs> fair and beat seven to nothing four times in a row. That's awesome. And he threw his handle and walked away. No like, way. All right, dude. You gotta, you, it's too bad there's not like air hockey halls. Like, there are pool no. halls that you can go hustle some It's weird. At. It's never, yeah, there's never been competitive air hockey. I've never like looked into it. I'm sure Started somewhere, up. maybe in a foreign country, there are air hockey leagues or something. I'm guessing the problem is that the tables are so unreal. Reliable. Oh, for sure. Someone would complain that one of the holes was plugged up or something. Well, in the minute a person spills a drink on it, like, it's fucked. Like, that's, that's the tough part is they're so bad for bars because it's so hard to keep them all working. Yeah, I've always wanted to have my own regulation air hockey table, and I shopped for one for a long time. Like, earlier on in my adult life when I lived alone, I looked into how much they cost and how much space they take up and how much they weigh. They take up a lot of space. They're incredibly heavy. And they're not actually that expensive, and I think it's because of how difficult they are to move. Yeah. Now I bet they're a lot more expensive. But when I was living on my own when I was, like, 18, 19, they were, like, 700 bucks. And I was like, oh, man, where in the house could we put <laughs> one of these on. just so I can humiliate all my friends? <laughs> awesome. I've lost air hockey one time in the last 26 That's years. In your career? But I, it's not <laughs> like I play all the time. 
Let me let me just say, it's not like I'm playing air hockey like twice a this night. Is thousands of games. I barely play anymore because right. where are air hockey tables? Plus, you beat everybody one. that had one. What's that? So plus, you beat everybody that had a table. No, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know anyone uh, that owned one as an individual, but I knew the bars that had them. What was it Rudolph's in Uptown had one? Yep. It's the last place I lost. Did they? Yep. Way back. Hmm. It was in the, it was in the, like, not the bar area. All the way at but the, the end. Yeah, it was all the way yeah, at the yeah. end. Yeah, that was the last place I lost. I had yep. two friends that went, just took turns playing me. And a buddy of mine that I was playing, oh, actually, they were taking turns for scores. Technically, you know, they both beat me. They <laughs> like, took two of them? It was a tandem it effort. Two, it takes two of you to beat but me. But I thought I won. <laughs> I thought I won, but I only had six. And then I came back. And I won't say, like, oh, my guard was down. There's no. But they got me. It was seven, six. I was like, fuck. And they, like. They partied that night. They had <laughs> <laughs> Tommy and Jono, if you're listening to this, yeah, they, had, dude, they, they took were like, down the champ. They were like down shots, the bar. We beat them. They were down the bar with their arms around each other, like they just won. Like, they were doing uh, some FIFA Buster Douglas shit. Like I'm and gonna spend like, this entire other, fight first. <laughs> yeah, I was at the other end of the bar. Like I wasn't really sulking. I was like, all right, I guess you guys are doing your thing. You today. guys won a game of <laughs> casual. Yeah, it was serious. All right, Quam, what about you, dude? Uh, it's tough because most of the things that I'm pretty good at, I've found a way to monetize. So it's not really <laughs> a surprise. No secrets. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I was in a university of Minnesota math program from like fourth grade on. I, my brain, for whatever reason, I have trouble. Like I can look at a math equ- and this went all the way up to calculus. I can look at an equation and I can usually know what the answer is, but I had, when you had to show your work, because I would always know what the answer was, I had a real tough time doing that. And my teachers that were all about the homework assignment and the homework quiz would always mark me down and give me C's because they're like, well, show your work. And I'm like, if I know the answer, why do I have to? And I understand that they were trying to right, show right. us all the, like, these are the pathways to get you to think about it, get it. But, like, it's really weird that I had the right answer and he had the right answer. I get 75%. He gets a hundred percent because he shows how he got there. But like, that's just the way that my brain works. And I have a tough time remembering that other people's brains don't work that way. And like we are, are newly found cribbage players, which I know will make you happy. Jenny and I have been throwing down pretty hardcore has that been that has just happened this that's year? That's literally right? yeah, yeah okay. that's this year. We we started uh, about two months ago. And um my wife is irritated because like you know, I'll get seventeen and I just jump it. Oh, and then the you know, yeah, yeah and you she's got, just going you by two. Slow down for yep. for and new players. And it's not it's not that I'm frustrated. It's not that like, it's just that my brain goes, Oh, it's that dot. And it's not I'm not doing anything smarter, I'm not like better at anything than she is. It's just that the minute that I see the number, my brain makes a little hole light up, and I'm like, right. well, that's where it's supposed to go. Yeah, and she also wants to see that you're not well, yeah. sneaking in. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> she don't trust your ass. Yeah, <laughs> Nor should she. Nor should she. <laughs> oh, there you go. And I'm not... This motherfucker's cheating at cribbage, and he claims he's can't smell the lemon pledge. <laughs> <laughs> Get yeah. on the cleaning list. I always win at cribbage. I can't smell a lemon pledge and I'm Rain Man, okay? I'm not cleaning the house and you're losing at cribbage. But it is. It's weird. Like I, uh, It's got to have something to do with the same reason, like I talked about on a different episode, that I'm obsessed with like 13s and multiples of them. The yeah. reason I can run multiples is that's just how my brain works. I can do it with most numbers. It's just I, I don't know why that it just kind of fits. 
like all the digits kind of move around and then there you go. Once we get into, I got fucked up with calculus because once you had to like bring in imaginary numbers and then I was like, well, this is bullshit. Now it's not math. This is like creative math and that's a different thing, which I'm also fascinated by and I love to read about. But my brain with normal math is, it just kind of works for me and I can't explain how my brain, I don't think through a, an equation. I look at these digits and then I go, oh, it's this. I just had to uh, explain to my daughter as she's getting into pre-algebra that, like, this is it. Dad can't help you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is you need this someone is, better I'm qualified re, to re, you. Like, you know, the, You're on your own, kid. You're on your own. Well, actually, she's probably right now with her tutor, which is amazing. So <laughs> that's, awesome. that's the kind of shit you look at and say, I used to do this. Like, say what? Oh, I, I sucked at algebra. I wouldn't. I would not have passed. I failed my first year at algebra and the next year I took it. And the only reason I passed it is because my girlfriend at the time was good at math. And so she helped me get through it. So I just, all of a sudden I'm like trying to help my daughter with her homework and she's not understanding it. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm my dad right now. I'm so my dad. <laughs> what do you mean Delaney? You don't understand. Look at here. You got the number right here. And then you got this right. <laughs> How can you not? And I'm just like, Oh, this is not, I need a tutor. How much is a tutor? <laughs> This isn't going to go well. This I know not. how this ends. Yeah. <laughs> and I know how it feels to be her. You yep. know, I've, I've yep. been in her shoes, and it's frustrating as fuck. So she can't yell at her tutor. Well, to, to <laughs> teachers and tutors and yes. parents everywhere trying to make it fucking work. Right? We love you. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. All right. What are we on? Four. All right. Four. How many do we Four. get? 20? Six. Six? Six. Oh, damn. <laughs> okay, so we've all been, and obviously this is evidenced by some of our conversation here, you know, we've all been cooking at home a lot more, uh, or ordering takeout, which in some cases is not the same. Oh, yeah, could you hook me up with some more yep. beer, too? If you could order any meal right now, Dudley, what would it be? Like, think a specific dish, not necessarily a specific place, but, like, sitting down at a restaurant and having, like, a specific dish served up for you, because we can't do that right now. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, uh, because you were talking about the jerk chicken, was mm -hmm. a place in the grill that Ooh. I was right across the street from uh, where my wife and I stayed on our honeymoon. It's a place called Best in the West. And, like, they hands down had the best jerk chicken I've ever had. I ate All there right. every single day. Ooh. We went there. Um, Actually, was a recommendation to stay there and eat there from uh, Tony Fly. Okay, you know, remember Tony Fly? <laughs> yep. I Back in the day, Tony he's Fly. now out uh, in California. On the Shout series. out to Tony Fly, <laughs> who has promised me that he will be a guest on this podcast the next time he comes and visits Minnesota. He's also promised me to be a guest on my podcast the next Woo! time he comes to visit Minnesota. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. So Bye. two, two for ones. Um, but yeah. The first night we were there, uh, we got into the grill, and I think it was like a Tuesday or a Monday, and they had a little happy hour thing going on where they had rum punch for free, and Sydney and I went down and drank as much rum punch as we could possibly drink, mm -hmm. and then went back up to the room. She passed out on the bed. I rolled a fatty, and I'm just like sitting there on the balcony, and I'm like, I'm gonna fucking go get that jerk chicken across the street, like right goddamn <laughs> yes, now. You, my honeymoon, you know. So I walked across the street and I got jerk chicken, and then I also she doesn't eat meat; she's a pescatarian. So I got her some uh, fish, and I came back to the hotel and I woke her up, 
she came out onto the patio. And I was like, come on, just eat this, just eat this. And she ate it, and she's like, this is so great. She's like, what do I have to do after this? And I was like, go, go back to bed. She's like, oh, I love you. <laughs> and then she went back to bed. And then the next morning, she woke up, and I was like, how good was that? And she was like, she didn't even remember. <laughs> didn't even fucking remember really? eating it. <laughs> she was like, what? I was like, you don't, I was like, and she was like, I was like, well, you ate it all, so it definitely, I mean, it's delicious. So we went back that day and got the same meals and dishes, oh, and yeah. I ate there every single day. And when we were rolling was around Was it all there, jerk chicken? What's or that? Was it all jerk chicken, or did you do, like, pork, anything uh, else? I always got the chicken there. Okay. Um, and when we'd roll around in the cabs, I would ask our cab drivers, like, What's, where's the best jerk chicken here in the grill? And yeah. then I'll be like, right across the street, man. Best oh, really? Left. So yeah. that, you They're know it's really good it. if everyone gives the same answer. Yeah. It's just like uh, when you go on the internet and you're like, what mechanic should I go to or where should I, where should I get a, a turkey club sandwich? People just give you the answer of where they have been. Yep. Not the best, just where have they been? Yeah. Like, well, this is my mechanic, so de facto they're the <laughs> best because yeah, I haven't delicious. stopped going. <laughs> I brought some of the sauce back too and tried to. Dope. Actually, you came over that night. Yeah, it was so, so we, good. We did. I think I put a little too much rub on those. those they were hot. Spicy. They were spicy. I, our problem, honestly, was that we cooked the wings too hot. We charred a little, little yeah. too much. It was still fun. Yeah, it was fun. I like hot this. August day, just pouring sweat <laughs> as you're eating spicy food <laughs> oh, over, best. over a barbecue. It was so great. It's like, yeah, it's we, like cleansing, you know? Yeah. So here in Minnesota recently, we had a little bit of a, like a fourth or fifth summer. Yeah. Remember that weekend when it was like 70? That's when I did the jerk. It was like a blessing. Like, whoa. Dude, we got because I wanted it to be a hot day. It seems like the kind of food you want to eat on a cold day, but in my mind, you eat jerk when it's already hot out. You want to be outside. Yeah, you're raising your yep. temperature. You know, you got ice cold beverages to to work that for day. sure. Yeah. yeah, we were we were jamming at all the reggae, oh. drinking drinking lager and eating jerk chicken. I made rice and peas. And oh, everything yeah. is no problem, man. No problem, man. That's right. <laughs> Please give that to me. Is, is the question specifically an item or is it just a general, like, a food? Well, we've done the place, yeah. but more like what – it can be at a place. But the question is, what food would you have served to you in a restaurant setting right now that you can't quite replicate at home? Like, think in terms of, you know, the spoiler alert for my answer. I can't make sushi like they do at Karanomise. Yep. So – it's things, things like that. You the, know what I mean? the thing that's frustrated me the most that I can't, there's two dishes that I can get close. Like I can give myself a B, but I know what a would taste like and I yeah. can't get there. And it's uh, gnocchi and uh, crispy skin duck breast. I can, I can make a duck breast. Perfect. I can render like out the fat duck or just like a crispy straight duck up. Breast. Nope. Just a straight up duck with a pan sauce. I brother, you can do that. I can. It, the yeah. problem is again, trying to get quality duck in mm. Minnesota whenever you want it is tough. And then once you get it, it's trying to figure out Hudson Valley. Yeah. I mean, is we're it, isn't the crispy duck. Isn't that just like putting the fat over it, over the top of it? Over yeah. Over I get, again? I get crispish skin. I've the two restaurants that I'm thinking of right now, you set a knife on it and the skin just cracks in half. Yeah. And that's the, that's the edge that I can't get. I can, I can cook a duck breast, Absolutely perfectly. Like, I close my eyes and it looks the exact same as what I'm dreaming. Gnocchi. Oh. <laughs> Prince doesn't like gnocchi. <laughs> gnocchi. Ooh. Um, Is it a blowtorch? Like a creme brulee at the end, maybe? So <laughs> I've, had, I've had two different people weigh in on this. One of whom started a restaurant after 
we had tried for a year making gnocchi on we used to call it uh service industry dinners it was monday nights when nobody was working we would eat and then eventually he opened a restaurant and a couple of the recipes that we were working on were so what shout out to you are you looking for though let's start there because there's different ways you get gnocchi finished do you like i can like make the, the i can sauteed? make very edible gnocchi i'm talking about like brown butter sage yeah. parmesan so the brown to like finished in the yep. pan finished in yep. the pan I it for whatever reason when I go to the finish it in the pan stage it either gets soft or it, it breaks or it gets so hard that it's like a toothsome oh, dumpling. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I don't know anybody that makes it well enough that will also share their tips with me. Really? So those are my two things that I whenever I see gnocchi at a restaurant that I've been craving, like when I crave the restaurant, I always order the gnocchi even if it's just a side dish. I have to have it because I know I will never make it that good anywhere. And then if somebody tells me you have to get the duck here, I'll get the duck there because I know, again, it'll be that level that I'm looking for that I haven't quite figured out. Yeah, those are all things that are deceptively simple. That also, by the way, was not 10 minutes. The alarm went off at 3 minutes and 57, so I don't really know <laughs> what's going on. Oh, we'll just get well, through let's our... Just but we still have... Yeah, let's either way, just, just a drink. Let's but just back to you. <laughs> yeah. What would yours be, No, mine would Charles. certainly be sushi. I don't... I mean, I've, I make, like, sashimi. Once in a while, I have a hankering for, like, a big pile of seafood, and I'll go to Coastal Seafood in Minneapolis and just make just a madman order. You know, give me some crab legs and oysters that I'll shock myself, and then give me some sushi-grade ahi and... Scottish salmon, whatever. Like, I'll just eyeball what I want and just, ooh, some of that, some of that. And then I'll just go home and post up, get a big tray, cover it in crushed ice that they also provide for you. Yep. Shuck all the oysters, thin slice the, the sashimi, and then just gorge myself. But making real sushi, like real nigiri, and doing it with a deft touch, like expertly, I'll never be able to do that. That's something I've accepted. I'll never be able to make nigiri anywhere near what they do at Karanomise unless I went to study in Japan. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this on the Stephanie March episode. Yep. Like, those guys study seven years to make the rice. Like, that's actually the key. It's not the fish. Yeah, I was like, just the freshest say. of the fish is one thing. And being able to cut it really nicely with a good knife, like a good sashimi knife, that, those are two elements. But making the perfect sushi rice is an absolute art. And I miss doing... Like, not just a sushi dinner, but an omakase. Uh-huh. Omakase, for any uninitiated listeners is when you pay the sushi chef x amount of dollars it's usually between like 75 and 100 dollars. you can go north of there per person and um you let them do what they want i'm not gonna i can't off the top of my head think of what it means it's something like at the chef's will yeah essentially you're you're asking them to make whatever they want so you have to have like an open heart and an open palate and let them do whatever they want but it's one of the coolest adventures you can go on because there is no – most of these places don't have an omakase-like menu. They're doing it on the fly. Yep, and right. you can see the wheels turning, and it's really fucking fun because you look them in the eyes, and you're like – you can see them go, oh, oh, I got a little cantaloupe. I got a little uni. I got a, you know, and they, they make these incredible creations in front of you. It's like an episode of Chopped just for you <laughs> in, yeah. in a restaurant for like $75. Are you fucking kidding? And I really desperately miss that, and there's no way. Also, Marnie and I were supposed to go to Japan in June. Oh, I got my wife a trip to Tokyo for our anniversary, and, of course, nice. it got canceled. So that's very much on the brain. Oh, like, right. oh, man, I need some great sushi. We, uh, the, the only chef that I've done two omakases with, I just found out, is uh, moving to California 
to try and make a run out there with a better sushi climate. And I'm just heartbroken. Where was this? Um, she was at Kato. Her name's Tomoyo Rudin. Oh. Um, she worked with me at uh, Shoyu at the airport when we first rolled out like the whole sushi menu out there. Was she at Fujiya? No? Uh, no, she went from, okay. she was at OTG and then she went to Lemongrass in Brooklyn Center. And then from Lemongrass, she went to, she was, I think, the number two at Keto. And <clears throat> I was, uh, we were trying to get some, some of our former coworkers together. And we were going to see uh, if she was still chefing anywhere. Right. And she was like, I'm so sorry, like, we're, we're moving to California. I got to really? try and okay. go somewhere where the sushi culture is a little bit more open. And I'm just heartbroken because, like, she is an incredible person and an incredible chef, but she's an artist. Where is she going? Somewhere in California. They're going to oh, try and figure it out. that's not far? No. <laughs> and she told me, she goes, when I land somewhere, I'm going to tell you where I am. And she's like, you of all people will probably come visit. I'm like, damn right. California, I'll never go there. But like going to, when she was at Lemongrass, which is like partly like hot Thai food and then they have sushi, you wouldn't expect it in a suburb of the city. Yeah. And we walked in there and it was Jenny and I's anniversary and we just t- told Tomo, like, here's a bunch of money. Give us whatever you're going to do and then we're going to tip on top of it. And I've I've never I've never seen any art like that before that was edible. I guess another now that you brought up Thai, it's got me thinking about pad Thai, and I've tried to make that, and I know it's super simple too, but it's like one of those things where it just doesn't come out. You're chasing a specific yeah. flavor, and you're yeah. not quite there. Like that's yeah. the thing. Well, the simplest things leave you nothing to hide behind. Right. I think that's why I had such great success making jerk for the first time. Is there's such a myriad of uh, various ingredients involved that if I slipped on a gram of whatever, it's not quite as noticeable. Right. So in my mind, it was like pert near perfect. But realistically, I will edit it going forward and probably get it even better. But I was like, holy shit, this is so good. However, with something like the gnocchi, come on, man. That's like there are no ingredients involved in nope. making gnocchi, <laughs> but it's all about technique. Yep. Like yeah. rice, sushi rice, there are no ingredients involved in making sushi rice, but the technique has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, it's I've like been... lager. You can't hide behind nope. bad lager because there's nothing there to hide behind. I've, cool. got, I've gotten okay at my sushi rice. Yeah. I mean, it's not great, but it's there, like, you know, and I've gotten better at doing, making the rolls and whatnot, but... Yeah, it can be done. Not as tight as it could be, you know. Yeah, like, it can be done. Those couple that are falling apart, you're like, God damn. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Well, uh, cheers all the way around. Yeah, we had a random early alarm. Yeah, whichever way you want to go. Yeah, I may as well do some whiskey. You poured this thing like almost to the rim. I'm just gonna take a halfsy on this thing, (laughs) and then I'll preserve the next half for the next buzzer. We've been through it. I told you, I'm not Mm -hmm. good at free pouring a single ounce. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. (laughs) I'm I really just, impressed with this whiskey, though. <laughs> that is fantastic. Dude, it's excellent. Oh. Yeah, I'm really pleased with that. I'm actually going to be speaking with Oski on the phone tomorrow about a project. So I'm Beauty. Try and lock him in on a date. Fucking fantastic uh, that is. That's me again, right? Uh, yeah, and also just real quick, this reminded me. Um, I love, especially right now, shouting out everybody local that we're trying to big up. Yeah. Um, I bought this bottle at uh, Lake Wine and Spirits. And uh, there's a, a beer buyer and manager there named Paul, one of my favorite humans on earth. Um, if you're ever trying to figure out what to get or whatever, just stop by Lake Wine. Their cheese shop is incredible. They have all these really great condiments. Um, and their beer selection, wine selection, whiskey selection is great. I, I love, I literally, it doesn't matter. I'd rather, what, what's the I'd shop drive again? Cool. Uh, at Lake Wine and Spirits, or Lake okay. Wine and Cheese. 
but going to Paul in, is, Minneap- in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, or, yeah, yep. Yeah, just to be clear. Yeah, sorry, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Going to see Paul <laughs> is like my favorite thing ever. He's just awesome. We're live from the 612, y'all. 612, Tweezy. That's right. <laughs> All right, on to number five. Uh-oh. The holidays are right around the bend. Can you think of something, Dudley, that you would love as a gift that uh, nobody would ever think to get you? Because we all have something like that. This is like every single day, every other hour, my daughter. What do you want for Christmas, Dad? Yeah. What do you want for Christmas? <laughs> no, but like, but what would somebody never think to get you? Uh, but that you would be like super pleased with. Man. Sometimes it's like the simplest shit. We'll buy you time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah no, I'm just, I mean... I mean, my my answer to Delaney finally was underwear because I've got like six pairs. Yeah, that something need to be really practical. Away. <laughs> yeah. Yep, the super um, practical dad answer. God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head what I would. What would I like? Quam, do you have an answer? Such a, there, there's there's a specific thing that I've been looking for, but it's because it's hard to find, so okay. it wouldn't really be an easy uh, yeah record. Sure, but, but it's something um, it's something you want that people that someone wouldn't think of getting you. Yep. There's a there was um, a, a fuzzy hard rock band in the mid '90s called Hum, who recently came out with an album, their first album in like 20 years, which is incredible. But their first major record uh, was called "You'd Prefer an Astronaut," and it's to this day in my top 10 favorite records. And hard to find. I have yeah, they've done two reissues, and both times I've bought a copy. And then gotten an email three months later saying that you didn't make the cut, even though I paid for it. And then oh, I had really? to like try and apply to get my money back for it. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's major label bullshit, just doing something with a band they don't give a fuck about. And I'm hoping that because the new record got so much critical praise that that'll cause them to do a bigger release. But um, so I started, I started the journey trying to find this fucking record like four years ago. And because I've gotten close and thought I had it twice and not, if it ever shows up at my house, I'm probably going to get teary. And that's a band I would, outside of um, our friends Max and Alexis, I don't know that there's anybody else in my life that would even recognize how much that record means to me. And the only reason they know was because one night at the Nightcap, a bar in Northeast Minneapolis, Max put on Stars and... None of us knew that any of us were fans of Hum because they're a band that made two records and then went away into obscurity. Wait, this was, you said this was their first album? Their very first record, When yeah. did that release? Uh, that would have been 95, okay. I think. Um, Wait, so they reemerged to make their second album? Or they third. Made, okay, they, they the made second two album, and they disappeared. I, I just never connected with it. It right. was like the first album got, it blew up, and I think they just weren't ready for it. And mm-hmm. they just put out another record. Okay. And there are people that are obsessed with it. I'm not saying it's a bad record. It just didn't You're connect it's with me. Ho hum. It's ho hum. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, But that first record, it was like, it's a specific time and place. Like, if I put it on, I could smell my blue new tree car freshener hanging from the rear view mirror in my 1990 Grand Am. Yeah, man. It's, it, it's the smell of like stale cigarettes from my friends and like spilled beer and farts. It's, there's just a specific moment. And like that was a record I could never play at a party when we went anywhere. It was a record that was specifically for me. Like girls didn't want to listen to it. That was a record that I only identify with my, myself. And it, I mean, 
it's not expensive. Like it's every time it comes back out, it's like twenty bucks. Right. <laughs> I just can't fucking get <laughs> yeah, it. It's just not around. And I want it so bad. This I want it so bad. Such a limited pressing. Yeah, no kidding. That's it. That's no, all I want. Did you did you dig up an answer? I mean, what is this like something? Something that somebody can get me? What's or, something that you covet that you've never bought for yourself? I mean, Sublime's so answer is something that cannot be found, most likely. Yeah. So it could be something like very accessible that maybe no one, it just wouldn't occur to somebody to get you this simple thing. Or it could be something that no one knows you want, but they'll uh, never wanted, find it anyways. I want, I want Erica Badu to perform Mama's Gun from track one to track 14. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Is she on Cameo? That's going to be an expensive buy. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I just thought of that because uh, the anniversary of that album came up, and it's like one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh, it's so legendary. Get on the Twitters and tell her to do a live concert. <laughs> just do a stream. I tr- um, when she came to uh, Soundset, was it the last Soundset two years ago? Two years ago. I was like, I'm not going to Soundset this year. Nah, I'm not going. Then they yeah. announced, and Erica Badu was on the lineup, and I was like, God damn it, I'm going to Soundset. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept tweeting at her because off of that album, Sydney and I, when we got married, uh, there's a song she does with Stephen Marley. So dope. Uh, in, in Love With You. And I was tweeting the hell out of her, like, hey, like, if, is there any chance you could perform this song? You know, like that. I was like, I mean, I, I could probably even, I, I think I put out there, like, I could get my wife in her wedding dress again and we would slow dance on the stage or something like that. Whatever, whatever it takes. Like, I just want to hear this song performed live. And um, we're closed. Um, <laughs> live podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody probably drove by and saw the lights on. It's like, Dude, let me get some mini corn dogs. Well, I tried to, uh, like, the, after the first Gophers game, I was like, I'm going to go to Max. I even texted you. I was like, I'm yep. going to get, you know, because Sydney and I spent plenty of time at Max. So I was like, I'm going to get the granny wings. Get Sydney or Black Bean Burger, and like things will be good. And I didn't know they were yeah. shutting down for a couple months or whatever it's right. going to be. So I was kind of bummed out trying to support the local businesses. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm just not. I don't know. 2020 is like I don't, I don't need any presents. I like that answer though. Like Erica Badu, <laughs> throw down. Like, yeah, like that, crazy, or yeah. or another album that I really want to see front to back would be Eric Clapton's Unplugged. Oh yeah, I mean I can sing. I sing that like I know how to sing. Um, so I was obsessed with that album when that first came out. So that'd be cool to see that one. But yeah, I don't know. That uh, definitely qualifies as a gift that someone wouldn't think to get you. Yeah, right. For sure. <laughs> I was trying. I mean, I was, number will finally give up any second now. Over so. the last couple of years, I've been trying to uh, figure out where she's performing at and like make it a point to get on the airplane and go see her and see her while you can for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Hang on, guys. We're, this is our phone's ringing. Oh my god! It's our newest, <laughs> our newest technical snafu is someone calling the, this bar that is closed and not giving up. Here's the best part. That was a "Are you happy with your long distance service?" phone call. <laughs> what was it? It literally said 800 long distance service." Wonderful. I was like, if that was a real, if that was a real caller, we could have put him on the podcast and been like, "Hey, what do you want for oh, Christmas?" That would have been awesome. <laughs> All right, Tell somebody up. calls back. We're going to do that. <laughs> cool. Is that me? Yeah, it's you. Yeah. Right. What, what do we get you? Well, my thing is, I I love giving gifts way more than receiving them. Like, it's one of I, my I, life's great yeah. joys. Same. I just love gift giving, and I'm very adept at it. And I think people in my life get frustrated. 
and try to like they overthink it you know they're like what do we get this motherfucker and it's always some highfalutin kitchen gadget that i'm maybe never gonna use it's like oh yeah man (laughs) thanks like it's always you know like thank you that's amazing but damn where am i gonna put this thing i got no more room in my kitchen oh an avocado thanks hey no actually that's but that's that's my answer is i'm so experiential sometimes i wish like I'm not a gift. I'm anti gift card because if it's like Best Buy, when you use it, you don't think of the person. No. But if it was a gift card, for instance, to like um, Hudson Valley, we were talking about duck. Yep. Like if someone was like, "Hey, I thought like you could use this to make yourself a really fantastic meal with like foie yep. gras or get like a whole duck or um, some like duck fat, and figure out something to make with it." A, fuck yeah, amazing. <laughs> any room in my house. Yep. B. Man, I love Hudson Valley, and I always feel weird spending money on myself when I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get a whole lobe of grade A foie, you know, because I did that for the housewarming party, and yeah. I was like, this is irresponsible, but I'm doing it anyways. <laughs> How frequently can you do that, right? C, that is the best form of self-giving because I will invite your ass to dinner, too, yeah. mm-hmm. and then I'll never forget that you gave it to me because, hey... We're having a roast duck. I'm making Peking duck, you know. I, well, fuck that. I'm not making Peking duck. I can't make <laughs> Peking duck. The duck breast, maybe. Yeah. Right? Maybe I make Quan that duck breast. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, I guess that's the thing for me is I wish people would, like, lower the bar on giving people giant physical things. Yep. Because the pageantry of the giant physical thing being present in their home. I used to do it for weddings. I'd be like, oh, man, what's the biggest thing that is most visible? Because, like, I want them to think about me. Yeah. Like, and when I come over to your house, I better see that fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Le Creuset, like the giant six quart or whatever. Like, yeah, I want to get them that because they're going to be cooking it in all the time. And then they'll think of their old French Charles. Like, that's, that's how I used to yep. think. But now I'm more like, man, I love experiences and, and doing things from the heart. A couple of years ago, my wife and I made a bunch of foodstuffs for our family for Christmas. So we did a giant basket of like various like sauces and drinks like we did coquitos and hot sauce and pickles yeah. and it was just like a whole mess of things it ended up backfiring because if you give like if you give your mother-in-law 16 things in a basket <laughs> she's gonna love most of them but there's gonna be like three things where she's like i can't do anything with that what's you know? that no knock at all but the more yeah. you do the more it's like no nah, chicken liver pate of course my father-in-law ate that i'm saying like then it becomes like i wouldn't have bought this yep. it's just included so maybe we went a little overboard but that was like from the heart like let's try something where we're not like here's a 200 hundred dollar gadget and more we spent weeks making these things for you guys because we thought you would enjoy consuming them and you would think of us when you do mm-hmm. i would i would like things like that more than physical items i love that you brought that up because literally today uh i told one of my best friends abe popowitz mm-hmm. his birthday is coming up in a couple weeks and i was like hey tell me if you want like a thing otherwise pick something that you wouldn't make for yourself and i'm going to come over with jenny and i'm going to cook it for you nice. and i Used to feel weird about doing that. Milky, Abe. Get that milky. <laughs> right? But honestly, I was like, hey, that's, that's, that's how I feel like I show my wife that I love her is by providing and cooking and, like, saying, you want this flavor? Here's a spread. It makes me – like, I do that with my family. I do that with my mom. And so I was like, hey, it's your birthday. Like, I could buy you some shit or I could buy you a bottle of whiskey and, you know, get you drunk. Or – we could just cook something. Tell me what you want that you wouldn't make for yourself, and we'll throw it down. I'll bring everything over. I'll cook. You don't have to leave your house. You can wear pajama pants if you want. I don't give a shit. Let me provide for you and your wife. 
and hang out. Like that to me, experiences should yeah, be where, what sure. we're looking for, you know? Because that DVD yeah. ain't gonna mean shit. <laughs> Yo, DVDs ain't shit, fools. <laughs> Cheers. Skull. Speaking of bottles of whiskey. Mm. Mm-mm. All right. Yes. For those people listening that don't know, 19 years you spent on and off with Prince? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was like 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, clips on Jay Leno, touring the world, like all kinds of shit. Um, you were my gateway, even as much as like going to Paisley before that, like you were 100% my gateway into the deeper world of, of Prince. And I kind of thought it would be a fitting way to, to end this episode to maybe just throw out like, what is something that people don't understand about Prince Paisley, like the whole thing? Or what is something that people misunderstand that you feel like might open people up a little bit more to understanding just how much of a fucking genius he is? Yeah, I mean, I would, oh man, there's so much so much with with prince um i mean we can you know go back i think he was really misunderstood um when he changed his name from prince to the symbol and he started writing slave on his cheek and kind of went into this whole battle with the record companies and i mean he was always just battling for artists to get their fair share so a lot of people you know kind of got weirded out when he went in that direction um, which is ironically kind of the same time that I got into the fold yep. was when he had slave on his cheek. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, uh, he was, you know, he started his charity love for one another. You know, he did a lot of stuff behind the scenes, donating to stuff to different organizations. Um, I mean, one of his dreams was to have a school out next to Paisley park, you know, and, um, teaching kids you know music how to play music still there's not a lot of that going on anymore um so yeah i mean i think people people think he's weird you know he wears high heels you know he dresses is he a man is he a woman you know am i white am i black am i straight or am i gay so um but he just you know he just cared about people and just about life in general, you know, and everybody, you know, but everybody was equal to him. That's the kind of thing about Paisley Park is that it didn't really matter who you are, what your past was, what your history is. Everybody out there is, you know, a little different, a little weird, but everyone felt accepted going out to Paisley Park. You know, it didn't matter what you're wearing, what your clothes look like, what your hair, you know, it doesn't matter. Just come here and this is my house and I'm going to play some music for you and we're going to hang out and party and, you know, it just didn't matter. So, I, you know, there's so many things to say about Prince. Um, I mean, he just, the one I was talking earlier this year to some people about, like, introducing younger generations to Prince, and how do you do that? Like, what album do you give them? And sure. I don't even yeah. think it's really an album. It's more or less figuring out, like, what kind of music do you like? What are you into? Yeah. Because he's got something <laughs> for exactly. everyone. For every Whether single it's taste. funk or it's, you know, rock and roll, you know, heavy guitar stuff, or if it's like cool, you know, jazz stuff or, you know, his album Kama Sutra is just like an orchestra and, you know, there's something, he's got an acoustic album, you know, there's just something for everyone. 
So I remember listening to um, when Rainbow Children came out. Yeah. And at the time, feeling like I just didn't get it. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, well, maybe this is where I kind of take a step back from him. And it's funny now listening to that record because I think it's so fucking genius. Right. But I had to get my palate to where I was ready for that. And that, I mean, when that album came out, too, there was a couple things that happened when the Rainbow Children came out. And I was touring with him with that album. And one was he was a Jehovah Witness. Yep. He was hanging out with Larry Graham. And he became a Jehovah Witness. And that threw a lot of his fans for a loop. So everyone was just kind of like, eh, what is this? But also musically, that album, you know, jazz, funk, fusion, and it's just ridiculous, you know, the, yeah. the songs on there. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's just a, a genius and always way ahead of his time. And, uh, you know, he's always just, again, going back to the changing his name to the symbol and his whole thing was like, you guys, these record companies are just what? And that, and when he got his hundred million dollar contract from Warner brothers, he was like, what am I going to do? What, what do I not have that the record companies have? Why do I need them? Yep. And it was a recording studio because everybody yeah. didn't have garage band on their laptop or whatnot. So he spent majority of his money and he built Paisley park. And he was like, now what bitches? You know, <laughs> yeah, for I real. Mean, he's like, you know, again, ahead of his time, late 90s, he's got the NPG Music Club and he's selling his music online and putting his music out. It was the first before, artist I ever yeah, knew before, that was like, doing anything. the iPod came out, but he knew that that was the future of music and he knew that it was going that way. So, I mean, he was the first person to do, he had this MPG Music Club, and when we toured, his hardcore fans were all members, they were all getting that music early, and they were also getting to come into the sound checks early, and he blocked off the first so many, so many rows for all of his members of the music club, and it's like, why wouldn't you want your hardcore fans up front when you're performing, versus Joe Blow, who's got all the money and just wants, you know, nice yeah. front row seats. Like, you want to feed off that energy, so... Yeah. What was the main question? Well, the question was like, <laughs> what do people not understand or, or misunderstand about him? But I also kind of want to maybe flip that around. And for somebody that unfortunately, because of how the world was and how the culture was, had to build up those walls and stay so private. Is there anything that you think that Prince didn't understand or misunderstood about the world around him? Or you guys in the bubble, maybe even? Uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's obviously stories of him just being, you know, he's just a, such a creative genius, and, like, he's things are moving so fast. He wants to get stuff done. So, I mean, there's stories of him, like, wanting to shoot a video in February and needing a camel and just not understanding mm -hmm. why he can't get a camel <laughs> into Paisley Park <laughs> at 11 p.m. on a Wednesday or whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's stuff like that where, yeah, it's just, like, you know, I mean, my old roommate, Takumi, uh, he would, Prince would call, you know, at 2.30 in the morning and be like, hey, I need a bottle of wine. Or, you know, I need a couple of bottles of wine. Prince doesn't understand that liquor store is closed hours ago. Yeah. He wants a bottle of wine. So, fortunately, my roommate, Takumi, is super smart. He would keep it stockpiled, yeah. you know, to take care of him. Can we, can we just give <laughs> a, a side story for Takumi uh, from the My Guitar Gently Weeps video? Yeah. Solving the, the mystery. For those of you that have never seen, or if you have seen it, just go watch it again. 
the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if yep. I remember right. It was Prince was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, I want to say it was like 2002. Yeah. And it's uh, Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne and yep. George Harrison. No, jo- George was, Harrison's son. So George, yeah, George Harrison's son. Like, it's all-stars. Yeah. And Prince comes out and plays the most fucking face-melting solo ever. And all the other... I, what I love about it... The solo is incredible. But what I love about it is watching everybody else's face. Like, all these musical right. legends just looking at him and smiling and yelling holy shit to each other. Right. <laughs> and then at the very end of it... And this was a long-running mystery... At the very end of it, Prince throws his guitar in the air and just walks off stage, but nobody ever sees the guitar land. Nope. It just vanished. And then they cut. <laughs> and then they cut. And Oprah Winfrey's holding it. <laughs> but. That was, yeah, my, my old roommate, Takumi, was his guitar tech for nine years and has basically been everybody's guitar tech. I mean, he's the type of guy who was like, sorry, ACDC, I'm going to go work for Bon Jovi. Yeah. Like the middle <laughs> of tour type shit, you know, okay. like. Cheryl Crow's calling him in the middle of the afternoon. He's like, ah, I can't. Sorry, I can't be there. Um, and ironically, now he works for Nickelback, but that's a whole other story. Nickelback, they sell it out, man. I can't. I you can't. can't hate on Nickelback. I mean, you can you hate can. on yeah. Nickelback, but they sell out everywhere they go. So, But every time I hate on Nickelback, somebody <laughs> posts that picture of me in Chad Kroger, so I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, long story short, Takumi caught that guitar. And then handed it to Oprah and the magic of television and cameras. Did you see when you, obviously like us being landlocked in Minnesota versus going out to the coasts versus going to Europe. Did you see, especially looking at like his androgyny and his like pushing the boundaries of fashion and masculinity. Did you see, did crowds react to him different in possibly like more culturally open settings? Or was it always confusing for for people or just were you around so many Prince fans that it just didn't matter at any of those shows? Yeah. I mean, I think it didn't completely matter. Um, and again, you know, like my situation with Prince is like I would, so we'd be playing a concert. Let's say it's at target center. People are getting to their seats. I'm playing music while they're walking in. Um, show starts. I come out, I come out on a few songs and scratch and whatnot. And then once the show's done, Prince would be like, you know, after party at so-and-so club. And then we would go over there and kick the DJ off, and I would just play Prince music all night, and people would lose their minds. But um, I, when I toured with him in Europe, it was really interesting because he wasn't... I mean, of course, he's Prince. He's still popular, but it's like he's not on the radar. He's not... He, he, he wasn't... And this was him doing the Rainbow Children, the One Night Alone tour, yep. and it was all independent. You know, he was doing a lot of it himself it wasn't like he had live nation behind him or whatnot so it was really like a skeleton crew and like broken down like oh let's load up paisley park and head over to europe but when i got there it's like they fucking just lose their shit you know so it's just like especially paris paris is my favorite because they would just i remember specifically um i can't remember the name of the venue but we were in paris and we're doing sound check and this was before we let in the MPG Music Club. Sure. And Prince and I were out at the front of the house with uh, Scotty, the sound guy. And then he, was, he told him, he's like, all right, we can open up doors soon. And then he was like, let's go. Like, let's go. We're going to go up stage because they're going to open the doors and we're going to do a little sound check and play some stuff. And we're walking up to there and he's just like, watch this. 
And he's like, Paris! And it's just like, just from behind the doors, just like everybody, that's him. They know he's there. And then, like, you know, a minute later, they open the doors, and they all just run up to the front. And there was more MPG Music Club members than any, anywhere than Paris had the most. And I'm still friends with some of them. I've DJed parties over in Paris. Yeah. Since then. Well, you know? even when, uh, after he passed, when... Uh when the revolution had that show yeah and the the dudes from um yeah the dudes from germany and then the dude from syria right um or turkey or from belgium the, the, oh sorry from belgium, belgium but, and then yep. the and the then one other dude one of the guys he lives in belgium but he's from syria yeah. he's a refugee that dude like his story about yeah. getting here yeah <laughs> telling customs that he was here to see and the revolution i didn't have a ticket to that show mm-hmm. at first Avenue. Yeah. it's the revolution playing at first avenue and it sold out like that and these guys fly over from belgium and they're like are you going and i'm like no nah, i don't have a ticket and they're like <laughs> we got two extra tickets for you i was like oh my god or was it three did you come with us yeah i was with you yeah yeah that was i still to this day uh the that was one of the most emotional concerts i've ever seen in my life but it was like i don't it was so weird because um i think the the I, I can't say this about other cultures because I, I've never lived there long enough to really understand, but we have such a tough time with um, tribalism and needing to separate everybody into like a definable category. Like you're black, you're white, you're this, you're that, you're gay, you're straight. And I, I, I mean, when I was younger, I, I didn't understand, you know, the, the assless chaps and, and all that. Cause yeah. I, I still didn't understand what it meant for me to be a male, much less anybody else and different in our, at least in our country, is always taught to be scary. And I remember my first real interaction with Prince was the night I came to see you DJ at Paisley oh, yeah. when his uh, new song, the CD wouldn't read. Yeah. We found out later because they hadn't, they hadn't just finished it. Like, so it, didn't, it, it wouldn't read on any computer. Oh, yeah, it wasn't. So it wasn't reading on Dudley's they computer. They didn't burn it properly or whatever. Yeah, they didn't burn it properly. Yeah. And um, I had my computer in my car, and I was like, Look, I'm not going to bring technology in here unless I'm allowed to, <laughs> but I do have a laptop, and if we want to try a second CD player, let's, right. let's give it a shot. So they let me go out and get it. I came back in, and as I'm walking in, I realized like, my entire laptop cover is fucking purple. <laughs> so now I really seem like maybe I'm a little bit more crazy. And then uh, I tried it on my computer, too, and that was when we figured out that it just wasn't going to read, period. Yeah. So I ejected it, and I was getting ready to hand it over to Dudley, and as I looked up, there's... Prince just staring at a random white guy with a computer in Paisley Park that he's never seen <laughs> holding unreleased music from him. And my face got hot from the stare that yeah. I was getting. It was like 25 feet away. Just hot. I was ready to Who immolate. Who is that guy? Lasers. And I just immediately gave it to Dudley. Like, I don't, not me. Sorry. I, I don't know. This isn't going to work. That, and that was kind of the thing about Prince, too, is like he, he needed to trust you. Yeah. Oh, for like, sure. And there's plenty of people who, like, over my span of DJing off and on for him for 20 years, like, just like, how are you, how are you still here? Because, I mean, I've seen him, I've been out there at Paisley Park where he'll f- fly in a sound guy. And he flew, he flew this one sound guy in from California. Dude is waiting there for, like, four hours. Prince comes in. He's at the board with him. And he's just like, he's like, let's check my mic. He's like, one, two, check, one. He's like, a little bit more in the mids. One, two, check. Look, bring the lows. One, two, check, one, two. He's like, all right. And then he just walks to the other guy. He's like, you can send him home. <laughs> oh, my God. Woo! Oh. And, like, 
The dude gave him, you know, 20 seconds. <laughs> 20 seconds to EQ his mic, and he's gone. Yeah. So. Well, my, my favorite part was the end of that night. He was irritated because he couldn't hear the new song. And he went over. I don't know if you remember this. He went over and played a game of pool by himself. Like, know. on the side of the stage at that pool table, like, on yep, the other yep. side of the curtain. Yep. And I'm watching this dude, full afro, in a kimono and platforms, playing pool by himself. And it was the manliest shit I'd ever seen. <laughs> like this is like like a five foot two, five foot three dude in a silk kimono, and I was watching that. That was like the most badass power move I had ever seen. Like, fuck y'all, you're gonna fuck my music up. You're not gonna play it. I'm gonna play this game of pool. And then literally, he finished it, threw the cue on the table, walked out, and five minutes later, the lights came on. We're done. And yeah. I, that was that's the difference between my understanding of humanity now versus my understanding of humanity when I was 18. I would have seen him in a silk kimono and just be like, why is he wearing a dress? And like, I'm glad that I'm where I'm at now, but it's interesting to see just like you were talking about with record label shit. Yeah. How we've all caught up to that. Now that's what every fucking artist is doing right now yeah. is fighting for the shit that he was doing 20 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, and everybody's time. The, every, the everybody was like, dude, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You're going to change it. Like you're going to, we're all making great money here. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you don't own, you know, he, he said, you know, each song is like a kid to him. He's like, I don't own my kids. You know, somebody else owns them. Ugh. So, yeah, there was only two musical acts that I remember when I was a teenager that publicly resisted their labels. It was Prince and his Tool. That was it. Yep. And I was a big Tool fan. So, you know, I didn't listen to Prince when I was a teenager. But I remember that those were the two visible acts that were like, fuck this. And had reason to mm-hmm. feel that way. And yeah, so he was he was ahead of the curve in so many ways. That's wild. That, and still, it's uh, just are still coming to light now, no. which is you know the unfortunate part of the equation. And the other thing too is it's just hard to make that move, you know, as like an independent artist putting out a, a record and doing it all yourself versus like okay, here's the machine that it can be put through and reach everyone. So it's like it's a double edged sword, you know. I mean, who is it now? Is it Kanye and he's tweeting left and right about I'm gonna get my I'm getting everybody's masters back for everyone and it's just like he's tweeting pictures of Prince and stuff and like referencing that and then I don't know if it was it's either like Miley or Taylor Swift like they're trying to get their they're both mad. doing yeah, it yeah it's yep. just like so I mean that's what that's what title was for Jay Z too yeah like they're all pushing for it but it all started with him saying I'm done. And then taking a bath for 10 fucking years yeah. until everybody else caught up to it. For sure. It's just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's crazy to think about what we had here for so long. And I know you've talked about it before at length. Dudley, and the but- other thing, too, is like, like you explained, like what, are, what is misunderstood? And like a lot of it is just like it sucks because it was, you just had to, like the first time I ever went to Paisley Park was random. Well, sorry, the second time I went to Paisley Park when I saw Prince perform, it was just a random Friday or Saturday night. Mm-hmm. I heard about it, and it was the same night that the Cleveland Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was being inducted. And I went out there, and there was like 400 people in the soundstage. Walked into the back. Dude comes out wearing a red hat, 
red veil over his face. You couldn't see him. And comes out and plays Honky Tonk. Honky Tonk Man. Right? Yeah. Like the Rolling Stones song? Yeah. Or Honky Tonk Woman? Or no, sorry. Honky Tonk Woman. Yeah. 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 And then goes into like a couple other songs. And I'm in the back of my head. I'm just like, where's Prince? And it was fucking Prince. (laughs) But it wasn't Prince because it was Tora Tora. It was this whole other like image that he has, you know, like so he could record an album and be on this album as a whole, not Prince and not the symbol guy. Yeah. And it was just like that night. I don't, I mean, whatever happened, just like the sound and just everything in the atmosphere. And I was just like hooked instantly, instantly hooked. And then never stopped going back ever. I mean, there was some summers like 98 where we would go out there every single week, once a week and see him perform for months for nothing, man, free Mm -hmm. and try to get everybody to go. And everybody's like, eh, that's a long drive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's free. Prince is performing, and it's free. I mean, yes, it does start at 1 o'clock, and you're not going to be home till 6 a.m., but... <laughs> but bring that up to anybody in any other city in the world, yeah. and they'll lose their shit yeah. over the fact that like, people or, just didn't go. Or how, no many people, how many people now would drop now whatever they're doing right. and go that. out to Paisley Park at 1 Precisely o'clock in the morning? You know? I never went. I had friends who went. It's just yeah, wild it's thinking about that. Like now you'd be like, Fuck. and it well, was just it was just a special place too. I mean, no. name another artist besides Michael Jackson who had a fucking roller coaster and was touching little kids. But just like name another artist who just has their own house and they'll just throw a party and whoever whoever can come. It doesn't matter. Come on know. down, huh? Just come on down. <laughs> yeah, come on in. Enjoy yeah, especially it. in in prior musical generations. Anyways, when we still deified musicians. Yeah. It was totally different because now you still don't see that now. Like, Hey, come to my house. I'm going to have a concert. You figure it would be more prevalent because now every musician is not just a public figure. They're just like there for us to see and hear and understand and read interact with. And like we see when they get a milkshake or they spill their coffee or, you know, they fart when they get out of their car. Like it used to be like this mysticism Yeah, and he still leaned in. You know, you could still go, you could go to his house. That's fucking crazy. Wild. Think of that. Like think of Cobain. Like if Cobain, you'd hear the amp and like the neighborhood, it would be like, oh shit, oh, shit. about to play. <laughs> KC's plugging in. Let's head on over. Yeah. Like, I, it's just, I feel like uh, Dave Chappelle might've picked up on that a little oh, bit abs- because he's got his little ranch or whatever, yep. where he's doing stuff. Yeah. I've yeah, heard through the grapevine true. that he's just filming a bunch of shit out there. Good. Yeah, I know one of the cameramen that's out there oh, and really? he's like, dude, it's, it's insane. He goes, I have 12 hard drives that are completely full of footage yeah. and we don't even know what we're going to do with it yet. Yeah. All right. But Chappelle is a perfect example of somebody who is benefiting from the walls that, that yeah. Prince knocked down For sure. and looking at the way that he walked away from that Comedy Central contract reminded me a whole lot of the slave on the cheek yep. and the way that the culture reacted to Dave Chappelle was the same thing. Like, Oh, he's going crazy. He's moving to Africa and he's like going all in on Islam. Right. Cause everybody had such a tough time understanding that here in America, the only thing that matters is money. Yeah. And there's a lot of artists out there saying that actually that's not true. And what matters is everything inside your heart and all the arrows still point back to Prince for my lifetime of the only person I know that had the balls to do that. Side note about uh, Prince and Chappelle. Well, I got two quick stories. One was uh, late 90s. uh, Prince is doing a VH1 special. And he invited Dave. 
to come and do some stand-up. What? Yeah. So like when Dave was like 18, 19, 20, yeah, yeah, like yeah. half-baked? Yeah, I guess yeah. 20, 21? Yeah, yeah. Super young. Wow. So yeah, that's like, when he was like a prolific stand-up. Yeah, because like he was he doing was becoming like... becoming a prolific stand-up yep. star. So one night I ended up, uh, the last time Dave Chappelle was in town, I ended up hanging out with him in his hotel room. I'm so sorry. Drinking tequila and chain smoking his cigarettes with him and my <laughs> wife and my wife's friend Sarah. I was flying. Sarah, Sarah and her friend were like hanging out with Dave and something was going on. And all of a sudden Sarah called my wife and she was like, well, we can come get you. And then we ended up like going down there. And then the prior, the year before I'll get to that story. I'd also been hanging out with Dave when he was in town. So I was like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, it's like DJ for Prince, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Oh yeah. So we go up and we're hanging out in his hotel room. And I brought that up. I was like, Hey man, do you remember performing at Paisley Park in like 98 or 97 and he was just like what I was like I was there man he's like you wait he's like first off like you remember that like I can barely he's like thinking he's like yeah and he's like you were there I was like yeah I was there but the other the other (laughs) story I was gonna do a lot of shows (laughs) if you're like wait I played at Paisley I mean you don't forget that but the other story I was gonna say which goes back to about Prince doing so much stuff and not wanting credit for it. Um, the year before that, when Dave was in town and he was playing at First Ave, he had, after one of his shows, he had uh, the charity basketball game where he was serving pancakes yep. and playing basketball at Target Center. Yeah. And two nights before that, I was at, I can't remember where it was, I think it was Elixir or whatever it was at the time, with Dave hanging out after his show. And again, like Dave just comes in the club and he's lighting up cigarettes. And I'm like, well... I'm, shit, I'm going to smoke in this club too then. Like, we're, we're with Dave. We're smoking. Yeah. But uh, he was like, he asked me, he was like, hey, man, he's like, can you get a message to Prince? I was like, yeah. I'm like, sure, what? And he's like, I want to invite him to come play at my basketball game, you know, the celebrity basketball game. I was like, sure. So I texted security guard at the time. And I was like, hey, I'm with Dave Chappelle, blah, blah, blah. And he just, he sent, uh, the message back was like, he said he's, he can't make it, but he'll send something down. And then two days later, uh, Prince had someone send down a check for ten grand, I think, or fifteen yep, grand, or 15 something grand. like that, to donate to the was it the Fast Break Foundation? Yep, Fast yeah, Fast Break Foundation. So yeah, little things like that. He's, it's just ugh. Ugh. yeah. Sucks. I would. I just tweeted the other day. I was laying in bed like at three in the morning, thinking about things, and I was like. Man, can you even imagine like what would be coming out of Paisley Park right now if Prince were still alive during this whole George social Floyd. Floor, George Floyd, yeah, just yeah. all that stuff and the pandemic and all that stuff. And like I mean, three, four years before he had passed, I went out there to DJ. He'd called me up, he's like, Hey, he's wondering if you can come out and DJ and I'm like, All right, cool, yeah, I'll be there. And I roll up there and it's just him and the band and all of a sudden he's his one of his assistants is setting up a camera on my turntables and i'm like what's going on he's like oh we're gonna go live he's got because he was doing live streams all the time with third eye girl tv it was like again ahead of the stream so like he was positioned if he was absolutely been around when this whole pandemic thing hit like there would have been live concerts from paisley park (laughs) i remember i remember going down and hanging out with you and uh they were like i don't know maybe 100 120 people there and uh 
we're just hanging out and all of a sudden like you see cameras everywhere you're like all right well this is going somewhere and then somebody said something about it was being broadcast live on like yahoo and then like kendrick lamar <laughs> came out of nowhere and like okay. f- like wrapped a verse on a oh, yeah. b-side and i got obviously like you know you had to leave your phones in your car and I got back to my car and I had six fucking texts from people around the country that saw my stupid big ass head, <laughs> shoulders above everybody else, like in nodding and just getting up like, dude, are you at Paisley Park right now? Because there's a dude that looks just like you that's way taller than everyone in the crowd, like losing his shit. I'm like, yep. That's just weird. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess this is kind of where we bring it back into the station. Um Referenced earlier was your old band, The New Congress. Yeah. I will straight up say, stop this podcast and go listen to Sex in the Light Years because I love that song <laughs> to this day. Or just do that next. We're rapping. But is that... <laughs> you got a new plan. Well, no, yeah, I mean, like, at the end of it, like, hit stop and then jump That's on right. however you get your music. But is there another New Congress song that you would want to throw out there? Oh, I mean, the triple X we did with Twista. Oh, that song's dope too. I forgot about that. That was a, oh, that that song's was dope. a banger. Um, uh, one of my favorite songs from the new Congress that we did was a song called, uh, oh shit, hold on. Oh no, Only Human. Oh yeah, for Only sure. Only Human is, is, is a good one. Uh, they're, you know, they're all good. We were kind of hot for a minute. We were, so you we, guys were moving, were... we were moving the needle. Shit, we played every Thursday at Bunkers for four fucking years. That's where I cannot drink Cuervo 1800 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then going back to that, that first day when we were stuck in a traffic jam trying to get to the state fair, when you and yeah. I actually became like more than just DJ homies who knew each other, but actually became pretty good friends, we kind of bonded over our love of the song Gold by Prince. So I yes. will absolutely tell everybody, go listen to Gold. But if you wanted to throw out maybe two or three other Prince songs that aren't super huge, that mean a lot to you, like what would be a couple songs that people should jam to? Uh, well, there's one song that I actually, uh, I went into the studio and did a bunch of scratches on some stuff, yeah. not knowing what I was doing. I was hoping you'd say And this. then uh, Prince released an album with Third Eye Girl, Girl called Plectrum Electrum, and I was at home listening to it, and all of a sudden, Funk and Roll came on, and about 45 seconds into the song, it was like, holy shit, those are my fucking scratches <laughs> on this goddamn song. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing, <laughs> but here I am. And I was like, ah, it was, all right, finally I made it. I'm on a Prince song. So uh, that's Funk and Roll. There's two versions. So there's one version off Hit and Run, and then there's another version off Plectrum Electrum, Plectrum Electrum which is a little more rocky. Um, so that's, I mean, yeah. Uh, and then what other song? I'm just going to throw out a song that you should listen to if you're a Prince fan. Well, let's go with Dreamer since it's Ooh, kind of fitting yeah. for the times that we're in with the social injustice and all that good stuff. The last time, uh, that I got to talk to Prince was when you brought him down to the exchange Yes, and it was really dope getting to listen to him talk about what the Minneapolis sound was. And then the fact that we're kind of missing the new Minneapolis sound. So while we have a bunch of really fucking incredible artists that are doing some dope shit right now, um, if you want to throw back to how awesome Minneapolis is, also, just check out Rock and Roll is Alive, oh, and it yeah. lives in Minneapolis. That song is a fucking absolute banger. Rock and Roll is Alive and Lives in Minneapolis was a direct 
uh, response to Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. And he came out with the song Rock and Roll is Dead. Prince is like, hold up, motherfucker. I love It's actually alive, and it's in Minneapolis, and here's a song. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz was on Questlove's podcast, and they brought that up. Did they? And Lenny was like, yeah, man, when Prince calls you out, like, <laughs> that's some shit right there. He goes, I was writing that just about my experience with the music industry, and I didn't realize that what I said at that time, I was, people assumed I was speaking for other people. And as a slightly androgynous, attractive, you know, like sex symbol, there were always comparisons to Prince, which I never wanted because I never wanted to be compared to him. I just wanted to try and sort of like rise above the genres and all that shit. And I put out Rock and Roll is Dead. And then all of a sudden, like a couple <laughs> months later, I hear that song and it was like, oh shit, I just pissed the great one off. <laughs> I just love that. I thought that was so great. That it, uh, yeah, that whole that whole story, and then coincidentally, he gave that song to Tony Fly to debut on KDWB. No shit, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Oh man, we got to get T Fly out here. <laughs> There's another song. I'm just gonna give one more out there, and it's off of uh, in the past. Well, this year they came out with the sign of the Di- sign of the times deluxe deluxe. And there's a song on there called "I Need a Man," and that shit is so funky. So check that one out too. Beautiful, man. Uh, so you also are a podcast host yourself. I am. Uh, you want to give everybody a quick little idea of what the podcast is and how to find it? Yeah, I have a podcast. Uh, it's called Paisley Nights, chronicling the Days of Wild. Days of Wild is uh, another Prince song, so we reference that. So uh, basically my friend, uh, longtime homie, best man in my wedding, Mark Bondi and I. Bondi! Um, it was his idea to come up with this podcast and it kind of all revolves around this subculture of people that went out to Paisley Park religiously, like religiously, like myself, before I started working for Prince, was just like, no matter what is going on in my life, if there's a party at Paisley Park, like, we're going. Mark and I are going. Um, So basically, after Prince passed... You know, of course, they interviewed all the musicians, people who made his clothes, you know, photographers, top to bottom, blah, blah, blah. But they never really interviewed the fans and the people who religiously went to Paisley Park. Who made the scene. Who made the scene. Hundreds and, you know, we're out there hundreds of nights. So basically, we sit down like this and we talk to people and we say, hey, where are you from? How'd you get into Prince? You know, and... Everyone has this strange, weird story, and but it all ends up at Paisley Park, and it's very cool. So many nights hanging out. So, I mean, like, again, like I said, it was Mark's idea, and it's more or less, you know, a hundred years from now, people are going to be curious as to what the scene was out there, and we're gonna we're documenting. You guys it, chronicled so. it. Uh, if people it. want to get a hold of you to DJ their wedding, their bar mitzvah, their professional or college, collegiate basketball team. <laughs> or apparently gangbangs. Or gangbangs. If you need a DJ for the gangbang, <laughs> listen. Yeah. Uh, all the social medias are at no music, no party. Um, I don't know. It's something that I started saying years ago and then uh, – I ended up trademarking it because somebody, some DJs are like, that's actually super dope. And 
somebody else is going to steal that and put it in a sprite, good. put it in a sprite commercial or something. Mm-hmm. So I ended up spending six hundred bucks to trademark it. So go. my Twitter, my Instagram, everything is no music, no party, or Facebook DJ Dudley D. What are you uh, What are you doing for New Year's, Dudley? Well, <laughs> Ben Quam, shameless plug. So Ben Quam and I are talking about uh, hosting a live stream for New Year's Eve. We haven't really hashed out all the details, but uh, I think we're going to do uh, Zoom. Yep. We're going to do a Zoom thing so we can also see you and, you know, people can dress up or decorate their little box that's going to be on the Zoom. And we're just going to play some music for a few hours and ring in the new year with uh, people we love virtually. Yeah, we're trying to find a way to keep everybody safe, but also still have a good time. So if you're looking for something to do, hey, hang out at home, throw on your best or your craziest clothes, yeah. and uh, we're just going to throw down. We'll put more details out coming up, but hit up No Music, No Party, or uh, you can find me directly at the underscore Kwamunist on Instagram or Kwamunist on Twitter, um, and yeah, figure it out. Charles, how do they find you directly? At It Came From The Sea on Instagram. And as always, thank you guys for listening, and go check out other episodes. We got an incredible guest lineup rocking right now and still coming up. It's going to be a fun end of 2020. We're trying to put some, uh, some smiles on your faces out there. Please, everybody, stay safe. Wear a mask. Stay home if you can. Do whatever you can to get through this shit so we can make 2021 the year that this should have been. Ladies and gentlemen, cheers to you out there. I'm Ben Kwan. I'm Charles Abad. Libations for everyone. DJ WD. We love you. We'll see you next Cheers. time. Let's drink some more. <laughs>